everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Out for Smokes podcast. I'm Mike Racine, joined with uh, my co-hosts Sean McCarthy and Scott Chaplin. And today I feel like it's a very important episode of the show because, um, well, first of all, did you ever see that clip of Brendan Schaub <laughs> <laughs> realizing that Africa is not a country? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he corrects them, right? He's like, it's a yeah. country, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Africa is a country, but so many people think that. So yeah. many people think that Africa is a country, and uh, today we are going to learn a little bit about. We're going to set it straight. It's not. It's a series of countries. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of countries. In turn, creating a continent. A continent yeah. isn't a series of countries. It's just a mass of land. Yeah, it's a land mass. Yeah, which okay. humans can divide can into divide countries. into really whatever they want to. Yes. Yeah, and there's uh, seven continents. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, you, Scott. You want to name the seven continents? <laughs> <laughs> All right, ready? Yeah. Uh, North America. Yep. I mean, does South America count as one of the continents? They're connected in a weird way, so you'd want to say no, but I believe it is a continent. Uh -huh. Right? And then uh, Europe? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then uh, Asia? Yep. And then, like, fucking Australia's over there? Yep. And then uh, Alaska? No, Antarctica. Yeah, Antarctica, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, and then there's one more? Yeah, it's, uh... What would that be? You want to Literally the one we're talking about today. Oh, oh I, I didn't say Africa. Yeah. Oh, Africa. Yeah. There we go. Woo! Yeah, nice. Oh. Can you name the that four... That was so stressful. Can you Congratulations, name the Scott. You just passed the fifth grade. <laughs> <laughs> Can you name the four oceans? Uh, Atlantic, yeah. Pacific, yeah. Uh, Indian, uh... How many are there? Four. Okay, so Atlantic, Pacific, Indian, and then like, uh, I don't even really, oh gosh, uh, Atlantic, Pacific, Indian, and then isn't one like a sea, they call it a sea, and you go, that's the ocean no, though. No, but, it's but, the same but, thing? but no? you're almost there because you, you named all of the warmer oceans. So there's a cold ocean. Mm-hmm. What? Arctic Ocean? Yeah. It's an ocean? Yeah. That's an ocean. Yeah. The Arctic wow, Ocean. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. I just thought that would be like the Jersey Shore. It's like if you went to the Arctic, you'd be at the Arctic Ocean, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. Well, great. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, um, so Sean, why is it important to learn about this stuff? Because I feel like I didn't even know what colonialism was until, you know, a couple of years ago. Yeah, you know, and I think that's an interesting point where it's like, so we're talking about Belgium and the Congo today, and you, the listener, and Ben, Mike's son, if you're listening, you actually don't have to know this. Like, you can get through life fine without knowing any of this history, but I do think, like, it's it's good to know, because A, it's good to know history because you can understand the world better, you, you can generally make predictions about what might happen that are more accurate, you're more aware of what's going on, yeah. but also, like, B... As an American, you're probably going to meet a lot of Europeans who are pretty snotty and shitty to you. Right. And it's nice to know their history so you can kind right, of throw it back right, at them. Right, 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 right. You know, like, you know, Europeans, they all think like Americans are like stupid and racist and ignorant and bloodthirsty. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, okay, fine. But you're the fucking Carmela to our Tony Soprano. Right. You know, right. just wear the jewelry and shut the fuck up. And you kind of taught us, like, where would we have learned how to do colonialism exactly. if it wasn't for you? I learned yeah. it from you, Dad. Yeah. There's also something about Europe where it's like, weren't they, wasn't their culture just kind of set up to, like, colonize people? Yeah, I don't know. Most... Did, like, didn't the Romans do it, and then the English did it? And I don't know. There was something about the way they, they... Look, you, you listening, you're not that much smarter than me. 
Well, I have a question. So okay. it's like colonizing. We're all kind of figuring this stuff out And together. conquering. What's the difference? It's, a, it's, the, it's, it's the, sort of the same thing. Yeah, I mean, like, colonization is... Uh, it's more like wigs. Wigs are involved. Well, colonization is like, is like you go to a place and you, like, take their stuff. You take their resources. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, Conquering okay. is more like you take we over, you take over the whole thing. Yeah, yeah I'm in yeah. charge now. Uh, of this territory directly as opposed to like I'm just gonna make it so you have to give me all your rubber and ivory and gold or whatever and then you know there's even today like neo-colonialism which which kind of adds another layer where it's like a lot of these countries now they have their own government but the government is corrupt so multinational businesses bribes you know whatever military or dictator or whatever and they say okay we'll make your family millionaires uh and you know we'll give you a cut of the resources but you just have to cut out the whole population and sell us your cobalt or Mm. uh, gold or or whatever for a a cheap price it is kind of funny that we don't know anything about africa i mean the only thing my the only thing my parents told me about africa was that uh they were selling the slaves too Yeah, that's, that's all the they only say. thing my sh- my shitty family's ever 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 said about Africa. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's all you need if yeah. you want to win a debate. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so today's about uh, the Congo and Belgium, and th- th- thank God. All right, shifts over. <laughs> Wife's home. <laughs> the house is trashed. <laughs> and now we can talk about the Congo. Now we can talk about the Congo. Yeah. I'll close the door. We all get right, to it. We- yeah, but Belgians too. Well, you don't think of like so you, when you think of like the big colonial powers, right? You think of like obviously the Spanish, the English. Germany didn't really have a lot of the colonies. Yeah, they, right? I mean, yeah, they had a few, but they didn't have as many. Yeah, France kind of under the France radar a little them. bit. France had a fair number. France yeah. colonized uh, Vietnam. Mm-hmm. It's funny when I when I explain stuff to Scott. It's like just like a, it's like, it's like it's like radio. It's like Forrest Gump teaching radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I I heard basically, uh, you know, b- thanks to technology, Africa kind of opened up to the world. And we were able to, like, ransack it, right? So mm-hmm. all these major countries were like, oh, this is me, this is me. Oh, I got this one. It's yep. like when you when you go to a shore house, you yeah. know? Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck? Right, I, right, right. I found the place. I got to get the fucking <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, you know, yeah. I get the top four or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And you, Britain called shotgun. Yeah, those yeah, are the rules. Yeah, the first episode of the real world where everybody, like, runs into the apartment and, yeah. pick, you know, I want the room with the jacuzzi. So yeah, that's yeah. what all these uh, fucking uh, colonizers did to Africa, right? Mm-hmm. And Belgium, like you said, wasn't a- as big as them, right? So they weren't yeah. even really involved. Yeah. And that's why the Congo, it's not Belgium's. It was a gift to King Leopold. It's not mm. like, like, and they decided on it, right? They were kind of like, because if anybody else had it, they would have had more power than anybody mm-hmm. on the continent of Africa. And they didn't want that. So they were like, well, it can't go to all of us. Mm. And then King Leopold was like, I got these ideas, man. I want to I spread Christianity. And they're like, well, we'll give it to you if you do that. And he's like, Awesome. So, so it, it wasn't was, even like Belgium's in terms of he didn't have to follow certain standards. So right? it was intentional that they gave it to him. No, he kind of he got it through. He was a very like smart but very evil guy, King Leopold II of Belgium, and he really got uh, the Congo territory through a mix of like subterfuge and bribery. But yes, he did have a bunch of uh, let's say humanitarian lies about I'm going to stop what was called at the time the Arab slave trade there. I'm mm-hmm. going to protect these people from the Arab slave trade. I'm going to open it up for free trade and commerce. I'm going to, you know, educate and civilize the people and all that. And it was all just a bunch of bullshit. But um, we'll, we'll get into all that. Basically, for this episode, I read the book King Leopold's Ghost by um, Adam Hochschill. 
Uh, for purposes of time, I'm going to condense like a lot of it and omit uh, a lot of very interesting characters and stories in the book, but I do highly recommend reading it if anybody is interested in learning more. It's uh, fascinating, very well, very well written. But like to give the broad strokes at the, the start here, Belgium and the Congo did uh, what I would consider a genocide, where about half or probably even more than half of the population of the Congo, which is like the area around the modern-day uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, more than half of the population was wiped out uh, between the period of 1879 and 1913. <laughs> there's no way to do that quietly. <laughs> yeah, I thought there would be no quiet. Way. I, opened, <laughs> I, opened, I opened a drink during that. <laughs> there's no way to open a can of seltzer quietly on a podcast. Right. Sorry, it was just such a big number. No, I start drinking. Hey, it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a Brooklyn podcast without cans of seltzer opening. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so uh, uh, about uh, half of the population was wiped out between 1879 and 1913, depending on estimates, and that's probably about 10 million. Some people even say 13 million dead people. I mean, it's just really horrific. You can't even comprehend it, and uh, and. Every European power in Africa was doing this kind of shit, but I do think Belgium and the Congo is the worst and most blatant, which is why it gets so much more attention than uh, than some of the others. Yeah. They said that King Leopold was kind of like the standard for cruelty before Hitler. Mm-hmm. It was like, uh, yeah, you're, yeah. Like, but even though that, I don't know what I'm trying to, the beard... Right. The yeah. beard is still around. Right. The the but, Santa Claus beard yeah. didn't, didn't go the way the, of the Hitler stash. Yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, it's interesting where it's like the goal was never to actually exterminate the population. It was just to steal all their ivory and then their rubber and make a lot of money doing it. But the actual effect ended up being pretty comparable in terms of, of people killed. Yeah. Um, the, does, did I, does ivory only come from elephants? At the time, yeah. Actually, you know, I don't even know. It, there is like synthetic and other sources, but at the yeah. time it did just come from elephants. So. Okay. Um, but yeah, so depending on the estimates, like a conservative estimate, Belgium's King Leopold II personally made at least 1.1 billion U.S. dollars in 1998 money from the theft from the Congo. So it's very profitable killing all these people. Yeah. But, uh, you know, to just kind of like give the, the history, let's go all the way back. The book opens with the Atlantic slave trade. And generally what you need to know is, um, you know, Europeans were just like murdering each other and, and all that kind of shit for most of history up until the 1400s. And then around the 1440s, uh, the Portuguese invent the the Caravel sailing ship. You know, it's a a different way of sailing. It has much longer range, and this is where the age of exploration kind of begins. And a uh, Portuguese explorer named Diego Cao in 1482... He comes. Uh, he goes down the co- the west coast of Africa, and he comes upon the mouth of the Congo River around 1482, and he's the first European to to get down that far. And uh, the Congo River, you know, I'd love to see it. It's incredible. Uh, it's the only the Amazon River in Brazil carries more water than the Congo. It's like the second largest, most powerful river in the world. So you know, it's this very vast natural obstacle. But basically, from 1482 until the 1800s, the Europeans just never had the technology to go any farther inland in Africa. So they would set up these trading posts on the coast, and eventually, like rel- relatively short within their arrival, they would just start buying slaves off local, um, local chieftains. 
because the Portuguese in uh, 1500, they just, quote-unquote, discover Brazil, modern-day Brazil, and they need slaves for it. So they start importing these slaves from Africa and then shipping them across the Atlantic to Brazil, and uh, they buy the slaves off local tribal kings for guns, jewelry, cloth, tools, uh, you know, early muskets, all this stuff. Um, and then part of the slave trade was, like, they always had to, like, import slaves from Africa to the colonies, right? Because if they used indigenous people, it was, like, they were, like, much harder to enslave, right? Because they knew the land and they could escape. And Yeah, that was part of it. And then a lot of the indigenous died from diseases and, and this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, yes, it was, uh, it was certainly easier. And it was, it, and it's an interesting thing where it's, like, well... It, it's a tragic thing where the slave trade really did decimate a lot of these existing kingdoms. Like, uh, again, in 1482, when uh, Diego Cao uh, shows up, there is a local, like, kingdom of the Congo, a Congo kingdom. But kind of what happens, I mean, it's like, you know, you imagine if aliens showed up and just, y you can bring a, a slave to Manhattan and they'll give you a million dollars in gold. And they're not going to ask any questions about where this slave came from. And you're making $7 an hour at Target. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you might just start kidnapping people. Oh, you're saying if aliens wanted to sell, start buying people. They just start, yeah. They yeah. show up somewhere, and you can, you know if you need money. Yeah. You know, if you need more money than anyone else locally can give you, yeah. you can go bring a slave there. And so kind of what happens is, like, the, the tribal kings will sell slaves, but authority starts to break down in these kingdoms because every local provincial ruler realizes I can make more money if I just start kidnapping people. Like, I don't have to listen to this centralized king anymore. I can just get guns from the Europeans, and I can, you know, take over. I can get cloth, gold, whatever, jewelry. Uh, so they just had, like, more advanced weaponry and much better goods to offer for trading, and this kind of slave trade really depopulates and decimates uh, a lot of the local kingdoms. Hmm. Whitey. Also, didn't it, it, all, all of this, uh, te this terrible shit, it, it like, so it is also, okay, so we invented these, you know, boats and whatnot that can get us there and all these different things and weapons that can whatever, whatever. Um, but fuck, I forget I was, what I was saying. Yeah. It was so good. We'll get to it. Get oh, also medicine, right? So the, the other thing was we kept going there and getting sick and dying, going there, getting sick and dying. Mm -hmm. And there was like this urgency of like, yo, like, you know, make all this shit, like get us better, make medicine so we can go and conquer these people. It's just so crazy how, you know, things were pushed forward. You know, we go, mm -hmm. oh, the Nazis, they pushed all these crazy things forward. It's like, that's always been happening. Yeah. Unless we're just contributing it to that, those things. So they were sending it, other European people to go to Africa and get sick and, and well, die. Well, no, it just was happening. It's like yeah. throughout time, people were trying to go to Africa and they were yeah. getting sick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, again, it's interesting to think about where it's like it's a period of 400 years, about 400 years, where it's just the, the whitey hanging out on the coast because exactly. you know, our uh, pale skin and weak immune systems just cannot handle going in. Like in the Congo River, you can't actually sail upstream it you can only go like shortly into the mouth mm. of the river mm -hmm. and then there's all these like natural uh rocks and cliffs and obstacles and rainforests so you can't sail any farther up river and then 
around it. You know, there's all these cliffs and bluffs. It's very dangerous. Yeah. And so since they didn't know the land, mm-hmm. they would go there and lie to people like anywhere else. You know, remember when, oh, like uh, the Spaniards came over and it was like, oh, we're fucking gods or whatever. Yeah, These yeah. are horses or whatever. So we would go there and make up shit. But we also thought that there were like dinosaurs there. Uh-huh. Like there's still people who believe there's parts of the Congo that have dinosaurs because oh. it is still land that's like not really discovered. Mm. You know, there's like apparently there's a part of the Congo that's the size of Florida mm-hmm. that has just not been touched by people. It's yeah. like the Amazon, you know. So was Africa just more sort of like decentralized and people were spread out and that's mm-hmm. like as opposed to European societies where things were more right. and, concentrated. You know, the the book guns Because I know it wasn't I he, people's IQs. <laughs> I know that. I would never say right. something like that. But yes. they, but some people do, of course, some people will like make right. that argument. And the book Guns, Germs, and Steel is the yeah. main argument, which I, you know, I mostly buy, which is Europeans uh, were concentrated directly with each other, and these European states formed relatively early, and then they were just constantly at war with each other. Mm-hmm. And war, te- uh, war tends to advance technology. Like, a lot of technological mm-hmm. advances come from warfare by necessity because you need something to kill the other person more efficiently. Yeah. So these European states were just constantly at war and in direct proximity to each other um, throughout the, the Dark Ages into the Enlightenment. And so their technology advanced much faster, whereas you know these, these more vast and spread out continents, uh, such as Africa, there were not as many formed nation states and they were not as in much direct contact with each other. And so they kind of didn't get that uh, experience and uh, European technology advanced faster. And and also like the river being dangerous, you know, and and European technology not being able to get into Africa. Mm -hmm. Also Africans technology, like just technology wasn't good. So they couldn't even handle the rivers that well. Like it's just, it, it's a it's a really like you know dangerous jungle. It's it, yeah. it has it's so many things that are like you know you you can make money off of, but it's also sure. very hard to navigate and shit. Sure, that's like in that Martin Lawrence special where he was like, "We was in Africa chilling." And I've never seen that. No, no. I think it's you so crazy. Oh, okay. He's like, "White man came over here." He's like, "We didn't want to be in this country. We was in Africa chilling." Um, but yeah, so there's a village that's uh, set up near the first landing site of Diego Cao. Um, by the, uh, it becomes a slave port. Uh, more than 5,000 slaves per year are being shipped across the Atlantic by the 1530s AD. This gets up to 15,000 slaves a year by the 1600s. Um, as we mentioned, local, provincial, and, vi- and village chiefs grow rich on the slave trade, uh, but it you know, sets off an epidemic of just kidnapping and uh, manpower devastation. And you know what, Sean? I love that we, we know so little about this, but we're forced to remember fucking Anne Frank every year in school. Well, yes. The, uh, the founder of the Black Hammer Org has some opinions about why that is, Yeah, um, but I'll let him speak for himself. Um, but yeah, and, and you know, by the 1600s, the French, the Dutch, the British, they all get in the, the same game. So it's just you got a bunch of Europeans going up and down the coast of Africa mm-hmm. saying, hey, we're setting up these ports. We, we're not going to ask any questions. You bring us slaves. We'll yeah. buy them off you. Yeah. And uh, this is like continues for uh, several hundred years until the mid-19th century. Yeah, this was such a long period of like really fucked up shit happening. And then you would think at some point God would be like, hey, like, stop it. <laughs> Don't know. There's too many. You're trading too many slaves. But he was just like, oh, cool, nice. Right. 
you know? Yeah, he was hands off. Yeah, he was pretty hands off. Yeah, he was he was busy sending people who eat pork to hell. He yeah. was like, yeah, I'll get to the slavery thing, okay? I just gotta, I gotta make sure people are eating right first and um, praying in the direction of Mecca, you know, these sorts of things. Yeah. One time I was in the park and I was like working out and this guy walked by me and he's talking on his phone and he goes, yeah, you know, what they don't tell you is the black man got raped way more than the black woman because the white man was on that faggot shit ever since ancient Greece and he raped way more black men than black women. And I'm just, I'm just like standing there doing jumping jacks. Yeah. Well, this is the city with the highest proportion of intellectuals per capita. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you can, exactly. you can really learn a that lot. That guy's a professor at Rutgers. <laughs> <laughs> he teaches a class. <laughs> White men and sexuality. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so the original Congo state is destroyed by the Portuguese army in 1665. Um, but then, you know, kind of fast forward about 400 years... Technology advances, and then we start. We see Europeans start to try to explore the interior of Africa. So the British and others they begin to explore, to attempt to explore the the interior again in the early 1800s. Like there had been earlier expeditions, but everybody fucking died, or they didn't get that far, or whatever else. Um, and the, there's this uh, British explorer, uh, rather famous, named Henry Morton Stanley. Uh, he finds another explorer named Doctor Livingston, who had gone missing in 1871. <laughs> He writes like a uh, at the time best-selling book about this, where he has this fa- at, again at the time famous line uh, that he makes up, where he says when he encountered him, he said, "Doctor Livingston, I presume." And you know, if you've seen Silence of the Lambs, uh, Hannibal quotes that and says, "Doctor Chilton, I presume." And you know, you, you see references to it throughout literature. It, um, it, it was a common expression in English language, but he probably just made it up. He didn't actually say it. He just wrote a book where he thought of something clever to say when he finds the guy. Mm. Um, but regardless, Henry Morton Stanley was, at, the, at his time, one of the most famous explorers in the world. And, you know, you can imagine it's kind of like how we treat astronauts today or whatever. Uh, if you're the, the guy who goes out and explores the unknown continent... Yeah, we shoot their wives at a, <laughs> at a political rally. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, if you're the guy who goes out and explores, you know, the unknown continent... Well, the reference to 2011... Uh, you get to come back and like write a book about it, and all the newspapers will publish will publish it, and they might even you know publish your photos if you're able to take any or whatever else, and you can kind of go around the lecture circuit and uh, drop these maps, and you know everybody's so fascinated because they don't know they don't know what's they they at this time Europeans do not know where the the Congo River originates from. They've only seen like the end of it, mm-hmm. so they're so fascinated by the geography and the exploration and all that. So Henry Morton Stanley is a very famous explorer at the time, uh, and King Leopold II of Belgium, who we we've mentioned, he's also fascinated by Africa. And Belgium, again at this time, is a relatively small European country. So King Leopold II, again a very smart but very evil guy he does come up with this idea that Belgium, if it wants to expand its power and influence, it needs colonies and resources elsewhere. So he's so fascinated by this, uh, all these newspaper accounts of exploration because he's like, this is unclaimed territory. Mm-hmm. You know, the interior of Africa is like, the at this time, one of the few parts of the world that has not been cut up by European colonial, colonialists. Mm-hmm. So uh, King Leopold... Uh, hires this uh, this British explorer Henry Morton Stanley, um, and gives him a mandate to go explore the Congo 
river and the entire area around the river for like five years and pays them a bunch of money to kind of buy off the the local chiefs and, and such. Mm-hmm. Now, why wasn't there why wasn't there any like resistance to the slave trade or early colonization of Africa? Well, just, uh, they were just not able to, or they that they weren't organized, or yeah, I mean, it was a couple different factors, like. Uh, in terms of how King Leopold got uh, around other Europeans, he used a bit of subterfuge because, you know, obviously if there's money to be made and you're a miner, you're Belgium, you do have to compete with the French and the Germans and the British and all that. So I'll explain in a second how he used a bit of subterfuge to get around that. Mm. But um, in terms of the Africans, they were decimated by the Atlantic slave trade and this, this massive exodus of manpower. Right. And kind of what happens is... The Europeans, they they show up again, and their technology has only advanced. Their manpower has only advanced. Well, the, the opposite has really occurred in Africa and the states there because of the slave trade. And um, there's, a, there's a lot of expressions about the Maxim gun. The Maxim gun is the first machine gun. It's invented in 1884. And also the Europeans would show up with repeater rifles and all that stuff. Like if you watch documentaries or read books about the Civil War... The repeater rifle really changes warfare from the musket because, mm-hmm. like, if you go, like, charge through an open field into a repeater rifle or a machine gun, it's just a massacre. Sure. And that wasn't the case with the musket because it takes, you know, so long to reload, reload between yeah. it. So what would happen is, you know, these Europeans would show up and they would go into the interiors. Finally, technology allows them to do that. And the resistance that they face, you know, besides, like, spears, like, if they have guns, they have, like, old muskets mm-hmm. that they traded with the Europeans for. Just really out-of-date weaponry, um, for the most part, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a big injustice of, uh, of, of history when you look at, like, people who have guns. Like, it's not very hard to use a gun. You know, it's hard to use things like spears, swords, and whatever other, you know... Right. Whatever other weapons, but... Yeah, Chris Rock has that old bit about, I like owning a gun, it means I don't have to work out. Yeah. Like, that's that's basically what history has been since the invention of the gun. Yeah. Yeah. This Henry Morgan dude, um, mm-hmm. he was, he was like, so full of shit, too. He would do, like, party tricks to them and act like he, like he would put a blank in a gun and have an African shoot at him. Mm-hmm. And he would be like, oh, and he'd be like, I'm fine. White, white guys can't get hurt. And they'd be like, oh, OK. Like, yeah. Yeah. OK. Do like lame party tricks. Like like there's it, I, I read a thing about how he literally took a magnifying glass and burnt like a, he started a little fire. And he was like, look, the fucking nuts. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> like, OK. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Weird. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, so Leopold. Well, I'm still proud to be white. I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. Uh, so Leopold recognizes, to kind of get around the European resistance, uh, he, he recognizes that this uh, colonial push will require, quote, a strong humanitarian veneer, and this is the idea of curbing the, quote, Arab slave trade. So, you know, like the uh, United States uh, formally outlaws slavery with the Civil War in the 1860s. The British do it a little bit earlier, um, but the Arab nations are still slave trading, and so this actually becomes... Uh, the, a, a large part of the, the European veneer uh, to kind of go into Africa is King Leopold and others say, we're going to go in, but we're protecting the Africans. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we're going to go send our troops and kill a bunch of them and eventually literally enslave them, mm-hmm. but we're protecting them. We're doing it for humanitarian reasons. And this is what you see with, like, literally... Liberals. Ev- yes. 
But literally every modern state intervention uh, is, it always has this fake humanitarian sure. yeah, veneer, yeah. Yeah. like Operation Iraqi Freedom or whatever, and once they actually get the troops in, they don't give a fuck. I mean, you know, it's, it's like a guy who will say anything to fuck you. You know, I love you, whatever, but and then as soon as you nut, well, you don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's... I make $40,000 a year. <laughs> And that's the history of, of, of modern states uh, occupying and committing atrocities. They always dream up some humanitarian veneer to sell it to the idiots. And I think it's very important to always be extremely skeptical of all this stuff when it comes to stuff like war sure. and troops and all that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so King Leopold, what he does is in 1876, he hosts a conference of explorers and geographers. This is Leopold's geographical conference. And How many explorers at that time were like ousted because they were finally discovering places? And they were like, I thought you said this was the place where everybody sucks your dick. And he was like, I swear it was. And they're like, it's a bunch of fucking dudes or whatever. You know, like how many people were... Wouldn't you lie? If you were an explorer, yeah, yeah. wouldn't you lie about that? I mean, the, the code of honor, right? that an explorer must have had because th- that weird stage of like, okay, now everybody gets to know as opposed to just the few, the lies must have been outed like crazy, no? Okay, yeah. continue. Well, it's like, yeah, the, <laughs> they, they beat the shit out of some 90-year-old who wrote that there were dragons there in his book. He's like, yeah, I've been there. No fucking dragons. Wait, is that there. true? Well, no, no, no. Oh, but, but yeah. But yeah I mean, wouldn't was... a guy be like, oh, yeah, I saw a dinosaur. And then everybody's petrified. And then it's like, oh, there's no di- there's This guy's an asshole. Right. Yeah, because like before there was exploration, people would just write whatever in books, you know, there be dragons and all that. And now we're at the point where people would actually start going and being like, no, they, they there were no there were no pygmy there were no giants here. There's no twenty foot tall men. They're all in the caves of Afghanistan or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so he he sets up uh, Leopold sets up this uh, conference of explorers and geographers, Leopold's Geographic Conference. The guests vote to establish the quote International African Association, uh, which Leopold headquarters in Brussels, and this is kind of the cover org for his colonial exploits. The International African Association is supposed to to fight the slave trade, to protect the natives, uh, to quote unquote civilize them and all that. But what Leopold does. Uh, rather cleverly, and you see this happen uh, a lot with modern business culture, Uh, in addition to this International African Association, which is a charitable organization, he sets up a straight-up corporation called the International Association of the Congo. And this is just a corporation with shareholders and all that Mm -hmm. that uses the same flag as the International African Association. But the language is like that it's it's like a nonprofit or something, right? Right. So basically he uh, deliberately tries and and very Mm -hmm. well succeeds in getting these two organizations confused for each other. So Mm -hmm. people will use these two terms interchangeably and think the one is the other. Like the United States, when they recognize Belgium's claim to the Congo, in the official document they'll use both of the names for this. They'll use the name International African Association, but also refer to it as, as the International Association of the Congo. But the one is a ostensibly charitable organization. The other is just a straight-up corporation that sells stock and bonds and yeah. it's like It's like Trump this week endorsing Eric. Yes. And there's just two, guy, two or three guys running with the name Eric. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but so Leopold... And the documentary I watched, they said that he was very good at, like, weaponizing snobbery. So it was mm-hmm. like, he was like, uh, no, actually, we're going to go and we're going to introduce Christianity. We're going to civilize them. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, missionary shit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he was very good at like speaking to different audiences, you know, like for missionaries, he would talk about we're going to introduce Christianity yeah. for anti-slavery societies. He would focus on we're going to stop the Arab slave trade in the United States. He talks about we're going to set up a United States of Africa where we'll kind of protect them and they can form their own little states mm-hmm. and have, you know, independence and democracy and all that. And, you know, it's all bullshit. He just, he knew how to say what needed to be said to different audiences to get them on his side. Yeah. I guess you should, you should always be skeptical of people who, like, just uh, naturally think that their way of thinking is better than you. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think, like, when it, when it comes to force... You know, when it comes to, like, sending people with guns anywhere, it's good to always be extremely skeptical, no matter what the the stated motivations are, because it's just a reality. It's like, once mm-hmm. you send people with guns somewhere on the other side of the world, uh, things will happen that you will not be aware of. You know, mm-hmm. atrocities will usually start to take place, and once they're there... You know, it's much harder to get them out, and you will have much less information about what they're actually doing. Mm-hmm. They'll just say anything to kind of get people with guns over to this area. Yeah. Um, so H.M. Uh, Stanley, the British explorer, in 1879, uh, he had just returned from following the Congo River for uh, 1,500 miles. Uh, Leopold had followed the newspaper accounts of this exploration in 1879. Damn, that's a long... So he, he followed... He walked along the Congo River? Yeah, I mean, he had a bunch of, like, conscripted African porters. I mean, like, his, mm-hmm. his actual diaries of the thing are, are pretty, I mean, horrific, where he would just, like, shoot random people, and, uh, you know, like, he would uh, press gang various Africans into it and, you know, mm-hmm. put them in chains. And so it's, like, to actually, like, go up and down, he needed a large caravan of, of porters to, like, carry goods, mm-hmm. you know, carry, like, uh, equipment for his boats and canoes, because, you know, you would get up the river and then there'd be, like, uh, bluffs and rapids. And so you'd have to have, like, a bunch of laborers to carry all that shit, carry the food, carry the weapons, carry mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, yeah, his his caravan, uh, with, you know, generous funding from his patron at the time, did manage to get about 1,500 miles up the Congo River and then come back down. And then he writes a best-selling book about it and uh, tours Europe and gives all these lectures. That's crazy, though, because Cleveland is like 500 miles from here. (laughs) So, like, going to Cleveland three times on foot, I mean, you got it. Also, how amazing to be like an explorer, right, Mm -hmm. an adventurer, and and then you can also, you're good enough to write a book. Yeah, like you go a place and you come back. You're like, ah, it was cool. You like you can't, you don't have the words to. Yeah, you yeah. know, you're good at exploring, but yeah, then you get yeah. home and you're like, it, it was crazy. You yeah. got to see it, green, blue, the you, colors. You get just go to Africa and hang out with your boys. For, yeah, you got to write a fucking essay when you years. get home. No yeah, yeah. thanks. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but yeah, so he he gets back. And uh, in 1879, he meets with King Leopold of Belgium. Uh, They agree that uh, Stanley will return to the Congo, this time working for the king. He's got a five-year contract at about 25,000 francs per year, uh, per year in Europe, double that time per year in Africa. Uh, So that's about 125,000 or 250,000 U.S. dollars uh, per year in 1998 dollars. Uh, Leopold funds the uh, expeditionary force to accompany him, uh, he sets up a base near the uh, the, river, the Congo River mouth, uh, and then he constructs a road around the rapids in order to build a chain of uh, trading stations. And the entire idea is, like, 
all the ivory and shit at the time they're interested in ivory ivory is used uh, at this time to make false teeth piano keys uh, you know several other things uh, they're primarily interested in the ivory and they want just like roads and more efficient transportation so they can go farther and farther into the interior and get it to the coast easier so that it can be shipped back to Europe and then sold. But also, uh, Leopold says to Stanley, quote, you should purchase as much land as you will be able to obtain and you should place success, uh, successively under suzerainty all chiefs from the mouth of the Congo to the Stanley Falls. H.M. Stanley had quote unquote discovered the Stanley Fall this waterfall which he named the Stanley Falls. Uh, I will send you more people and more materials, perhaps Chinese coolies, unquote. We're gonna call this the Scott River. <laughs> <laughs> Naming stuff after you, yourself. Um, it's brutal. But you know, it's the basic idea is like you see this, of course, with American colonization of the, the wild, wild west, but also with uh, Hawaii and uh, lots of other colonial territories. Did you say the wild, wild west? The wild west, like, goddamn. <laughs> the Will Smith movie. The yes. wiki, wiki, wild, wild west, <laughs> you know. as you know it. <laughs> um, Jim West, Desperado. That's right. <laughs> Rough Rider. Uh, but you see this with like all these different cases where... Um, uh, uh, Stanley is authorized by Leopold, and in fact, Leopold demands that he get all these local chiefs to sign treaties. And a lot of these chiefs had like never seen the written European, in this case, French language, French mm-hmm. or Belgian. Um, they'd never seen this language before. They didn't usually. They didn't even know what they were signing, or they would not understand it. Right. Uh, Leopold says, "Quote: The treaties must be as short as possible, and in a couple of articles, they must grant us everything." H.M. Uh, Stanley got more than 450 Congo Basin chiefs to sign and uh, the flag of the, um, the both the International African Association and the International Association of the Congo is the blue flag with the gold star. So this blue flag with the gold star starts floating over all these territories that uh, he had got the local chiefs to sign. Uh, the chiefs sign over a trading monopoly and all land in their entire area to Leopold. Uh, he also has another clause where they sign over, uh, uh, they guarantee, it compels them to assist, quote, by labor or otherwise, any works or improvements carried out in these territories. So another clause in the treaty is like, if we want to build a road, if we want to build a railway, you have to supply us with workers. This is what you sign. This is what you agreed to. And uh, according to the book, few of the chiefs had seen written, the written word before. The idea of like a treaty of friendship between two clans and villages was familiar. Uh, the idea of like sa- signing over actual land ownership to a, a foreign ruler who lived overseas was totally inconceivable. Um, so essentially, Stanley would just go up to them and he would give them, you know, bottles of gin, uh, fine clothes, flunky coats, uniforms, cloth, marketable wares and say, could you just make a little mark here next to the X on this document? And they would usually assume, oh, it's a treaty of friendship or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sweet, I get a, a, a musket or uh, a nice gown to wear and some bottles of gin. I will sign here. And then Leopold gets this Oxford... Some chocolates. <laughs> yes. But it's like, how do the rules of law apply to that? If It, 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 it still doesn't make much... The only... Like, who does that... It, it, where does that go? It still doesn't seem legitimate, you know, that they could just sign something they don't know what they're signing. Well, I guess because they can't take them to court either. Right. Well, the <laughs> idea is so weird. The idea is is mainly just for uh, putting a legal veneer on it for other Europeans. 
because uh, Leopold Heyer is an Oxford scholar, uh, a legal expert, and then together they draft up the legal principles asserting the right of private companies to act as if they were sovereign countries when, uh, when making treaties with native chiefs. And, you know, Stanley has a very well-armed force. We mentioned the Maxim gun, like the first machine gun. So he's able to get these at least 450 signatures for pretty cheap and, you know, sometimes just at the threat of a barrel of a gun. And then once you've got all these people to sign, well, Leopold can say, hey, legally, they signed over, over all their lands to this corporation that I control. I'm in charge here now. I own all this land. I have clauses that say... You can compel, and they were like, "No, we we are signing this because we want to be we want to be your friend. We think you're you are a cool a pretty cool guy, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, I mean, it makes sense why why people would hate Whitey, like knowing I, about all this. It's it's cra- it's crazy. The more you read about Whitey, the more you're like, what what are we doing here? And then the more you learn about uh, the more you learn about black people, yeah. You're like you're like the coolest people that ever. You guys are so cool. Like anywhere you go, I went to the Caribbean. Everybody, all the Caribbean people there were like super nice. Everybody in Turks and Caicos just like awesome. You know, great people. And you go like, I'm I'm just I'm as a as a white guy. I'm just I'm just like a little fucking worm. Mm-hmm. I'm a disgusting <laughs> little piggy worm with a broken dick that doesn't work. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's like literally the 1800s, the Europeans like show Just up. Just kidding. The Europeans show up and, you know, the local chiefs assume, oh, they want to hang out and be friends and drink gin they together. They want to hang out because they were just enjoying their lives and, yes. and, yeah, having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like... Same okay. thing with the American Indians, right? Yeah, for, for the I most mean, part, For the most yes, part, yeah. yeah. And then it's like, okay, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll sign this, this little treaty of friendship, and then... A couple years later, oh, hey, why are you kidnapping my wives and mm-hmm. children and mm-hmm. holding them as hostages for mm-hmm. rubber? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you signed right here. It's right here in that contract. You don't remember that? I thought it was just to say that we are super friends. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Well, for, like, what do you think is the biggest takeaway in this stuff? Because I think for me, it's like just the the sheer arrogance of the colonizers. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I mean, it's like an arrogance that you can't that there's it's hard to relate to. Yeah, it's the arrogance and you know, I do think this history is important because of let's say general racial prejudices or whatever. If you don't know the history and most people myself included until relatively recently didn't know the history and you just see like, oh hey, this part of the world is poor and this part of the world is rich. Well, you mm-hmm. assume it's because the people here are better than the people there. Or smarter or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And it's but like, they're just more evil. They're just more evil. They yeah. they they got a technological head start and they're like, hey, what if we just go down here and steal all of these resources mm-hmm. and then it's, you know, we, we'll say sorry later, but yeah. we're not going to give the fucking money back. Right. We get to keep the money. And there was no God to be like, no, stop it. You're bad. You're bad. Stop it. Right. Yeah, he was like, if you jack off, you go to hell. I, I really can't take any positions on the yeah. slavery stuff, but the yeah. jacking off, you definitely go to hell for that. Mm-hmm. Don't jack off, don't have gay sex, and don't uh, eat, eat shrimp. Right. Yeah, yeah I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to intervene to ban abortion, but the slavery mm-hmm. stuff, I don't really care about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, not to get too off topic, but like, I feel that way with disabled people, too. Like, I would never laugh at a disabled person, but... And I, and, and I think when you see a disabled person, like, you do have to laugh, but you're not laughing at the person. You're laughing at the fact that, like, God allowed that to happen to them. 
Right. <laughs> that that God was like, yeah, I'm going to make you two feet tall and your arms don't work. And you're, 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 you're punching up because God is the most powerful. God is the most powerful. As long as you're laughing at God, it's and fine. God is a fucking boop. <laughs> but... Um, but yeah. isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, that's that's what I think is funny. The fact that like this could ha- this could happen. That that you, sometimes sometimes you see somebody so disabled and you're just like, what the fuck? What, are you talking what the about? fuck is that? <laughs> well, how does that? How did? How was this allowed to happen? Right. What? Yeah. Why is Bill Gates allowed to give this person the vaccine that made them so fucked exactly, up? Exactly. Exactly. Speaking of my right wrist is like really fucked up. I know that's crazy to complain about your right wrist during a Congo episode of the podcast, <laughs> yeah. but it hurts so bad. Oh, we didn't even get into I'm trying the, to blame the, the vaccine, the amputations. Well, right, yeah. So yeah. now, then all of a sudden, tire right cars show up, yeah, and people start riding goddamn bicycles, yeah, and they were like, "Wait, Congo has rubber? Rubber? I thought we invented." Well, that's so funny. So we're 44 minutes into the show, and it's like, yeah. So Belgium, <laughs> Belgium, right? They had this colony, but then it kind of like it was a financial strain on them, and then randomly. Now there's bicycles and car. I guess some cars here and there, right? Right. Yeah. When was the, the car invented? Like the eighteen nineteen hundreds? Uh, turn of the century, like the early nineteen yeah. hundreds. Okay. Yeah, because it's like this uh, Scottish inventor, John Dunlap, J- Dunlop. He pa- patents the inflatable rubber tire in eighteen eighty eight. Uh, this spreads widely. You know, it makes bicycles far more useful. It's soon used in cars, mm-hmm. uh, and then you know, rubber- what were bike tires made out of before that? Wood. Yeah, I don't actually know. You mean yeah. like bent metal? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, you know. That's probably why unicycles were more, at least more popular then than they are now. Because it's like, Cause oh. It was less rubber. It's just like, you just have to make one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this like sets off a big rubber. <laughs> I'm going to, <laughs> oh, let's go get some chocolate <laughs> on my unicycle. <laughs> Man, white Europeans are fucking disgusting. It is and crazy that are... the invention of the bicycles is like, that sounds like the greatest thing ever. It yeah. sounds like the most fun. Yeah. And then bad shit starts happening somewhere because of it. And now, obviously, phones, it's the same thing. But well, and then, but then you bikes, look at... man, come on. But then you look at, like, early colonization, and it was all, like, spices. Like, people just wanted, like, cinnamon and cumin for oh, their Oh, yeah. Well, that was their bicycles. Their that was their fun. Yeah. That was, you yeah. know, that was skydiving. Yeah. I was like, oh, I wish I could ride my bicycle through the park. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, okay, let's, let's go to africa and chop everyone's fucking hands yeah, off i got of yeah shit. i got you yeah <laughs> yeah queen's uh bicycle song mm-hmm. but with uh footage of that happening you know yeah uh but yeah so it's rubber tires hoses tubing gaskets rubber insulation in the uh 1880s 1890s the price of rubber really explodes and this you know gives because like they made sex dolls out of rubber <laughs> they they just made pocket pussies that you could rubbers fuck. were <laughs> literally could, condoms that yeah. you could fuck yeah but anyway, so the invention sets off like a boom in the price of rubber, and this is like, you know, a godsend for Leopold because this like makes his uh, Congo colony so much more profitable, but it like makes the atrocities so much worse. And this is particularly the period in the 1890s uh, because what happens is, you know, the prices go through the roof. So Leopold sets off the same kind of commission structure where his agents for this private corporation can go out and they can get as much rubber uh, as they can from the natives um, and then sell it back to Leopold for a markup. But essentially, the cheaper you get it from the natives, the more money you make. So the incentive is just to steal it at gunpoint, basically. And they come up with this really horrific system of... um, 
Which is crazy. They couldn't even buy the rubber. They couldn't even be like, hey. Because wouldn't that, wouldn't that have been a better system to just be like, hey, guys, go in, this, go in the forest, get us some rubber. We'll buy it from you. You don't even know what this shit is. You don't have bicycles. You're African. <laughs> I, 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 that part of that's true, but I also think getting rubber is like an extremely painful. Like people die just getting the rubber. Mm. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like you got to climb. So there's rubber. I, I thought ru- I literally didn't know rubber came from like a tree. There's mm-hmm. rubber trees. Mm. And so you can get them from the vines or you can climb them. So if you want a bunch, you know, you still have to sell a bunch to them. Mm. So the work and getting rubber, it would just, these people would, yeah, they'd fucking die. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, cutting their right hands off did not help at did all. Did not help. Which yeah. apparently Leopold realized that eventually, right? He's like, wait, maybe, okay, maybe we shouldn't cut their arms off because we He's need. Like, Guys, I got Wasn't it. he quoted as saying like any Anything but their hands because he realized, oh, we need them to All right, change, their hands. He's like, change of plans. We got to cut their dicks off instead. <laughs> I mean, that has. Stop cutting off hands and switch to penises and clitorises. <laughs> well, so, and like, you know, I didn't know this either. Like, the reason they would cut off the hands is because, so, uh, what Leopold does is he sets up what's called the Force Publique, which is an African mercenary army, because, you know, you will have, like, one or two white officers and then several dozen African troops. I mean, you know, it's the same way the concentration camps worked, where they would have um, the local capos, like the Jewish prisoners who would be in charge of the others, and then in exchange they would get, like, slight benefits or whatever. I mean, it's a really horrific way of of running things, but it's pretty efficient, where you can kind of turn a population against each other. So the force publique was the African mercenary soldiers. It was set up in 1888. Eventually, it, it comprised about 19,000 men with, you know, modern rifles. Um, uh, by the 1890s, this force consumed more than half of the Congo state's budget. But what they would do is they were very strict about the ammo they gave out to these African soldiers. Uh, they, they could get punished very severely for wasting ammo. So while they cut off the hands, it wasn't necessarily as punishment, though that did occur... It was if you killed somebody with your rifle, you would cut off their hands to prove that you didn't just waste your ammo. Like, I actually killed somebody. And there was a situation where, like, one of the Belgian officers said his men were just killing women, so they actually did cut off penises to bring it back to prove that they were killing men. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's like this rubber, quo- uh, this rubber quota system was so horrific because what they would do is they would just go to a local village and say, hey, we need, like, three to four kilos of rubber per adult man in this village and are you going to cooperate no okay we're going to take a bunch of hostages we're going to take your wives and your children hostage and if you don't bring us this fucking rubber we're going to kill them or they would just send out the force publique to villages and and, uh, tribal areas that didn't cooperate and just kill everybody there which is Mm -hmm. where a lot of the hand cutting off uh, came in so they really killed more than half the population to give people bike tires. Yeah, I mean, yes, to make one man rich, but it yeah. was like... And how, how many people do you think they killed? It was like 10 million? The, but depending yeah. on estimates, 10 to 13 million. Yeah, I read 15 and one yeah. place. You know. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. yeah, and it's like a lot of this was um, uh, death of disease and stuff, but it's, it's when your entire food supply is devastated, like the force publique would go through villages and they would just steal everybody's food. And that was like the whole hostage trading strategy because like relatively early on, the villages, as soon as they saw the white man and his you know, steamer ships coming, they would all flee. But you flee from your agriculture into the woods, the actual rainforest. You can't stay there that long. So the Belgians actually had hostage-taking manuals, which said, 
You just kind of wait around a bit. Eventually, they need food. They're going to come back, and then you just kidnap all the women, and you send one woman out to go negotiate and say, we're going to kill them if we don't get this rubber. And, you know, you imagine your wife, your kids are taken. Yeah, you'll go fucking do what you have to do. Yeah, they come back with, like, whatever, you know, whatever the... They come back a month or two later, like, okay, did you make your quota? Yes. And then not only would it be, okay, you made your quota, great. It would be like, okay, now buy buy them back. Like, give us other stuff so you could have your wife back. Mm. And uh, for this, like, three to four kilos of rubber per adult male per fortnight, that's every two weeks... Um, rubber gatherers would spend like 24 days per month in the rainforest to meet quotas. Uh, many of them would build cages to protect themselves from leopards while they, uh, they slept. And Scott mentioned the rubber vines. Uh, rubber vines can wrap around trees. They can go up to 100 feet or more off the ground. You have to slash the vine with a knife, and then it, it like drips this sap that you can collect in a bucket. And if you make a nice little like small cut incision... The vine will keep living, but you can just slash the entire vine, which will kill the vine, but it'll give you more rubber. Uh, However, like, officially this was forbidden, but people would get so desperate to meet these quotas, of course they would do it all the time. So, yeah, these rubber gatherers were spending 24 days per month in the rainforest. Uh, Basically, every man in the population would either be killed or just gathering rubber all the time. It devastated the entire area lots of the women just wouldn't have children because if you're pregnant you can't escape when the white man comes you know they learned to get away into the forest they had to be able to uh and they would often have to leave their children behind to, so they didn't make noise and give away their position i mean it's it's unimaginable horror and King Leopold made at least 1.1 billion off of this, and what he does is because it's all in this private. Court, but by those that money, it was like eight thousand dollars. <laughs> he was like, "Oh my God, I have eight thousand dollars." <laughs> um, King Leopold, he's got all this money in this private corporation, <laughs> and he actually hides it from the Belgian government because the Belgian government had given him a loan. So he comes up with hiding it so he doesn't have to pay it back. He just kind of, like, puts it all in his own pocket. And the bad press of all these, like, horrific abuses... And, of course, you know, uh, if you read the book Heart of, Darkne- Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad or watch the movie Apocalypse Now, which is about the Vietnam War, but it's based on Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad, who has his character Colonel Kurtz, uh, who has that famous line, the horror, the horror writes in his journal, exterminate all the brutes, and that kind of stuff. And he's a composite of several Belgian officers in the Congo that uh, Joseph Conrad met or knew about. Uh, One who had uh, a line of severed heads in his garden outside his house. Another one who, you know, paid uh, a few copper rods to his force publique soldiers for every severed head they brought him. You know, just like, it really enabled the worst and most horrific elements of humanity. We should go, like, just beat up the first Belgian person that we see. We should go out tonight and just find, find like, a Belgian neighborhood and just fuck them up. Right. Yeah, it's like whipping God. up Arab hate after 9-11. Disgusting. Yeah, but they deserve it. I mean, yeah. they, but I, I feel like nobody associates Belgians with uh, this kind of stuff. Well, they're all nice and rich, and it's yeah. like, how did they get rich? This shit. The yeah. money doesn't go away. Yeah. Are there any famous Belgians? Well, during World War One, they kind of like stood up to G- Germany. Yeah, 
They got right. away with a lot of this stuff because the Germany invaded them and killed like 5,000 Belgian civilians who all fucking deserved it. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wish it was more, <laughs> to be honest. But then, like, you know, the Allied press, you know, the British and French were against Germany, so they made up all these stories about literally what the Belgians did in the Congo. They made up stories about German soldiers cut off the, the arms of Belgian babies and crucified Belgian babies and all this and none of it was true but it was wow. uh, it, it kind of it really covered for their atrocities in the Congo because in the western world they became this noble Belgium resisting German aggression yeah I guess this kind of stuff it is hard to like face and learn about you know it's like and you don't have to like nobody's making you do it nobody's nobody's making you study up on this stuff or, right. or whatever and um, right um, but you know, if you're in an art, if you're doing study abroad, but it's a tough road to go down when you go like this, all this like state sanctioned, just horror mm -hmm. happened not really that long ago. And then you go like, what, and, and, like, and then you go like, what do I do with this information? Well, if you're 10 beers, if you're 10 beers deep at the Antwerp hostel, you mm -hmm. can win a debate with this information that right. we're giving you right here. Right, right. right um, man. But so, you know, in the 1890s, all this bad press starts bubbling up, and the, the real, one of the real heroes of the story is a guy named E.D. Morell, who is a, a British official with a Liverpool shipping company that had a contract with Belgium, at the, uh, with Leopold. At the Bel he worked at the Belgian docks, and he realizes that almost every outbound ship from Belgium to the Congo has guns and ammo in it, he also realizes that the amount of rubber that's coming in is being vastly understated because, as we mentioned, Leopold's cooking the books. He's hiding the amount of money he's making. And he also realizes that 80% of the... But it's like, dude, you're the fucking king. I don't, I don't understand what's happening. You're the king and you, have to, you feel this need to like, make more money. It was kind of the era of constitutional monarchy in Europe, mm -hmm. where the kings started having their wings clipped. Okay. And Leopold even gives a quote, uh, I think, to Kaiser Wilhelm or something, to the effect of, money is the only power kings have left. Right. Because Leopold actually has a parliament in Belgium he has to deal with. But as long as he has this vast fortune off the books in the Congo, he has all sorts of power to do whatever he wants, basically. Mm -hmm. But uh, E.D. Morel is this English guy. He realizes 80% of the exports going to the Congo serve no trade purposes. It's all just guns and ammo to enslave the population and steal this shit at gunpoint. Uh, and apparently... The Which he isn't the first person to realize it. He's the first person to do his job. Is, like, is he like a health inspector, kind of? And he was like, wait, this is kind of fucked up here. <laughs> Taking actual notes for the first time. And they're like, no, no, actually... Right, yeah. I mean, he's like the first. He's the first person to realize it and not be a piece of shit. Exactly. It goes on for like twenty years, and then the one good whitey. Is yeah, like, the one yeah. critic, <laughs> the one bad Yelp review of, of the way things are going in the Congo. <laughs> but yeah, like so, he realizes, and uh, the actual statistics are something to the effect of each year the amount of rubber, ivory, and other goods coming into Belgium for the Congo is more than five times more valuable than the amount of goods going into the Congo. So the idea is, the way Leopold has been selling this to everybody is, this is fair trade. You know, we're just trading trinkets and cloth for rubber. We're doing these fair deals. We're protecting them with air of slavery. But he realizes, no, you're sending nothing but guns and ammo there, and there's nothing... Coming go back. It, well, the only thing that's coming back is rubber. But there's not nothing that much. Go, there's nothing going out. 
80 mm-hmm. percent of what's going to the Congo is not anything you can trade. It's just mostly guns and ammo. Mm-hmm. And he realizes the only possible way this makes sense is if you're stealing this shit, if you're killing people and taking it by force. So his shipping company, which has this lucrative contract with Leopold, they try to buy his silence, but to his great credit, he just quits, and he says, fuck that, I'm going to say what I know. Mm. And so in, in 1901, he quits his job, he starts his own newspaper, and he spends more than a decade just publicizing and railing against what's going on in the Congo. He, uh, the missionaries there, the American and the British missionaries and others... They're the only people who don't have their mail opened by the Belgians, the Congo state. So they send him reports. They send him photographs. He publishes these photographs. Again, you know, these famous photographs of uh, Africans with missing limbs and, and all this stuff. And it does stir up a lot of outrage. And eventually, King Leopold comes up with a deal where he sells the Congo to the Belgian government. Uh, I believe in uh, 1908. Yeah. In 1908, the deal is done. Belgium, the Belgian government assumes 110 million francs of debt, because another thing Leopold had done is, uh, for this corporation that officially owned the Congo, he sold bonds in it. So he gets all this money for these bonds that he sold paid back, uh, where he would just give like you know journalists and uh, influential people bonds, so they would get a stake of the rubber coming out of the Congo. And then he gets all that money back, and he gets another like 110 million francs in direct payment. And then the Belgian government assumes control of the Congo, um, and Leopold dies in 1909. And the worst of the abuses die down, but I think that's more just a a consequence of, I mean, they broke the population. They killed half the people there, and they broke most all the resistance. So it's like, if you've been at war for 20 years, eventually, and seen like everybody you love killed eventually you reach a point where you just kind of give in. Mm. And they really kind of got more efficient at exploitation. Like, the actual exploitation of resources did did not stop. They're just like, there was less mass murder, and it got more efficient, basically. Mm-hmm. Damn. It's almost like, money, so they say, is the... <laughs> you don't know, what are the words? Yeah, I know what the words are. <laughs> it's a trap. What? Right, money, it's a trap. Is that one of the lines? Yeah. And, you know, after his death, Leopold sets up a foundation in Germany with about 50 million francs to kind of hide his own wealth, and he gives it specific instructions to build all these uh, public works in Belgium. And if you, go to, uh, if you go to Belgium or Brussels today, you can see the, uh, the triple arch, which is nicknamed the Arch of Severed Hands, because mm. you'll see all this beautiful architecture and, you know, these nice museums and, and all these nice shit in Belgium, and it was all paid for with, you know, rubber from severed hands. Yeah. I guess the one thing that that is that gives you kind of hope for humanity is you're like, okay, well, most people think that cutting off people's hands is wrong. You know, like the majority of people that exist are like, oh my, what the fuck are you doing down there? You're cutting off, you're cutting off their fucking hands. You're like, you cut off pe- women's. I had the documentary on. My kid took a nap, but I was I was making dinner. I was listening to it. It was like, and then they cut off her breasts and left her to die. And it's like, okay, most people think that that's like they are more vehemently opposed to that. Mm-hmm. It's just the people that are good at, I guess, taking power. Mm-hmm. Don't really care, and that's kind of the story. That's kind of human history, right? I mean, you know, the the worst people are always very good at hiding these things, and yeah, you know, most people are just kind of indifferent. Mm-hmm. Back then, you could really hide it. 
Yeah, and even today, like, yeah, we have the internet and all that, but we don't know what the fuck's going on in Ukraine. We don't know how many people right. are dying out there. There's still right. that place in the Congo that's unexplored. Right. What, it's, what if it's unexplored because we're using it as a slave? slave, slave well, zone. the thing with Ukraine is, like, I don't, re- I don't know anything about Ukraine, but you kind of go, like, all right, what's going on here? What are we doing here? <laughs> Mike, Mike, the thing with Ukraine is you go, <laughs> what's going on? No, but it's just, like, <laughs> what are you guys doing? Like, what are we, what, what's the end of this? You know, you're just going to keep letting people die? Where like where do you like when do you say like all right enough's enough right well after stop fighting after Raytheon makes enough money of course you know. but there's a there's this old Mad TV sketch I remember watching it was one of the first episodes of Mad TV I ever watched and there was a, a sketch it was called like the X News or something it was like Gen X doing the news. And the guy's talking about Bosnia, and he's like, you know what? I'm having a party tomorrow night, and the whole world's invited, except Bosnia. Because <laughs> it's just like, I think you all you you always inherently know that war and, you know, ki- like killing people is very stupid. Yeah. The Holocaust was very stupid. It's a very, it's a, not a, it's a very dumb idea to be like, let's kill all the Jews. Yeah, but I mean, it's... Uh... It's just kind of a horrific example of how easy it is for most people to look the other way. Mm-hmm. Like, you look, you know, at least a decade of people. I mean, you know, there were, and there were other people in this book that I didn't mention that did kind of raise the alarm. Yeah. But it wasn't until E.D. Morrell kind of had the facts and figures and refused to be bought off, refused to go away, and mm-hmm. made enough noise with enough evidence mm-hmm. that kind of got the world to put enough pressure to, like, not even end colonialism, but just to kind of make it the more benign system that, I shouldn't even call it benign, but with the less than 10 million dead bodies that the French, the British, piled up. And, and, you know, the book makes the point where it's like, actually the French government, which took over the other side of the Congo, today that's Republic of Congo, the Belgian side is the Democratic Republic of Congo, Mm. the French government actually did kill 50% of the population in their area, just not as many people lived in their area. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then the Germans, they did a, a genocide against the Hero, uh, the Herero genocide. That was 1904 to 08, where upwards of 100,000 people were killed, which is like 75% of the population. It's like a mass murder, but it's just there were less people. It wasn't as many as 10 million people. Did you know the reasoning behind they did a rebellion against the German colonial government, so they sent the army down with orders to shoot literally everybody and to poison all the wells and drive them into the desert and kill all of them. It's very horrific crime, mm. but, you know, it gets not as much attention, and it's, it's horrific, but they didn't kill as many. They killed a larger proportion of the population. They're just well, Why not instead people. of all the murderer documentaries, it's just these murders? They're just as... Because you, well, because people women, can't go. Well, oh, yeah, because women can't say it. Women they can't fuck watch them. them yeah, these dummies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Women can't write them love letters in prison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, should we continue this over on uh, Patreon? Well, I think I can just wrap up the story here because you know it's okay. depressing. I don't want to waste too much time on All it. Right. But I'll, I'll just tell you in, in five minutes or less. I'll tell you what's going on today, which is nineteen. 19- but Patreon.com slash Out for Smokes, folks. Well, you, you know, so in 1960, uh, the Congo gets its independence. And the thing is, this resource exploitation, it doesn't actually stop. It just assumes different forms where probably less people get murdered 
directly, but mm-hmm. they still get immiserated, and you know the body counts still pile up in other ways. Um, so 1960, Congo gets his independence. The first prime minister, Patrice Lumumba, makes noises about nationalizing the resources, putting the resources to work for the good of the people of the Congo. And, of course, the CIA and the Belgians have, Belgians have him assassinated in 1960. Uh, and then in 1965, the United States backs a military coup to totally end democracy there. They install an army officer named uh, Mobutu Sesso Seko, uh, he has a coup in 1965. He rules until 1997. Uh, he's worth uh, $4 billion U.S. dollars when he's overthrown. And again, it's just it just kind of changes where it's like, okay, at first you have the British and the French directly ruling. Now you have ostensibly sovereign African countries, but they're just going to keep going until they find somebody who they can bribe to give them the resources for cheap. They're not going to let... Uh, a guy like Patrice Lumumba, who says these belong to us, we're going to sell them at fair market prices. Mm-hmm. They're going to go through the army, and they're going to find a guy who's like, yeah, sure, I'll take a bribe. I'll sell you this shit at yeah. below market prices. I don't give a fuck if everybody here is poor and starving, as long as I can get my taste. So that's kind of what Neil. Well, that's the other thing too. This. It's like it's like you don't have to take over an entire country and cut people's hands off. They'll sell you the rubber. Right. Is the thing, right? Like people want to survive and they're not going to use all of it themselves. They will sell it to you, but it's not enough for these for these people. They have to own right the the means of uh Yeah, and that's the the end of it is like multinational corporations if these countries were independent that had governments that could represent their people, they would sell these resources for the fair price and use that to reinvest. But mm-hmm. corporations, they don't want to pay the fair price. Right. They want to pay super cheap because we bribed somebody, so we get it super cheap. Right. And then resell it at the fair market price. Yeah. But, you know, and it's just like it kind of goes on where uh, the raw material then was ivory and rubber. Now it's cobalt and coltan. You know, on your iPhone, that all comes from the, the yeah, Congo. Yeah, there was a time where copper was big, and then there was, like... Old. Right, and copper went down at some point, I forget when, in the 80s, and then the Congo was, like, you know, fucked for a while, because it's just, yeah. 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 Yeah, I know. Women and their gold, huh? And, you know, and there was, like, after Mobutu was overthrown, there was a horrific civil war, several million died, and that's really to the benefit of multinational corporations where they would rather deal with local warlords. They would rather buy this shit off these local corrupt autocrats than have a functional, stable government capable of, uh, of standing up for itself. And, you know, it's what you see with the CIA and all this, uh, all this shit. But it's, it's just kind of the world we live in where you have to understand the raw materials that make so much of what we rely on Multinational corporations get rich off of getting the cheapest price for those, and they get the cheapest price by bribing local officials and overthrowing and murdering any government that tries to stand in their way with the help of the CIA, MI6, etc. Now, now these, these natural resources we mm-hmm. use to make these things work, right? The reason we can't use other things is because those things are like magic, right? Can we admit that? That the earth is mad, it gives us magic, yeah. and then we do magic shit with it. We go, oh, this magic lets us do this magic thing. Mm-hmm. Or is it, I mean, because otherwise we would ha- have other ways to do shit, but for some reason we don't, right? So that's why, like, women who like crystals, they're a little right, because crystals act, that, that's why our cell phones work and shit, right? Yeah, right. Boom. I hear you, ladies, don't worry. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> yeah, don't stop buying crystals. Yeah, they're really, they're real. They make your cell phone work. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, King Leopold had real Scorpio energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> Damn. But yeah, I mean that's a, that's a it's a condensed summary. But I think I think we covered most of the bases here. I think uh, you, you learned a bit. Yeah, he, yeah. King Leopold died, right? And then he was like, "I want a private funeral." And then uh, they didn't give him a private funeral. And then as he was riding down the streets, everybody booed him. Right. Yeah. He, yeah. He was a massive pedophile too, which was actually in the press at the time. Mm. So, but like as a comp back then, it was a compliment. They're like, he's also a pedophile. And they're like, wow. <laughs> well, he's like, he's how he, well versed wow. in womenhood. Wow. He has the youngest girlfriend in all of Belgium. <laughs> <laughs> Truly a genius. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he had it's his. Just, I love. I love how Scott just like makes up. He just makes up. <laughs> stories in his mind <laughs> and they're very good stories <laughs> he was like bribing editors to call him a pedophile like could you put yeah. that out there that i like 10 yeah. year olds yeah the king of pedophiles could you say that my girlfriend didn't even have tits yet <laughs> all right well it's <laughs> time to wrap up yeah well uh i don't know maybe i'll mention some of the things we didn't get to on the patreon but uh we'll, we'll talk some current events there and uh this kind of thing all but right thank yeah, you for well, yeah thank you that was well, super well, thanks thanks sean thank yeah. yeah yeah everyone reach out to sean and say thank you for reading that book <laughs> yeah for, i'm gonna i'm gonna read more about it now making me want to kill myself yeah i'm gonna learn about some rivers you're welcome and... <laughs> yeah um, guys, who said, uh, who said you have to have fun on a comedy podcast? <laughs> that was that? fun. No, no this is like this I, is I like this is like the this is like the broccoli, the broccoli episode. Right, once a month. Yeah, get your vegetables. Um, so guys, I you know the I drill. Patreon.com slash out for smokes. Follow us on social media at Mike Racine Comedy at Sean P. Uh, not Sean McCarthy on Twitter. Um, Scott, I guess they can MySpace you. Or yeah, 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 yeah. I guess they Just can call t- me. They can text you at nine seven three two two four seven nine seven nine. Scott's phone number. And um, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye bye.